Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man, and that's remarkable. Alex, there are a lot of things that feel surreal about 2020 and the beginning of 2021. But number one on my list right now is the fact. Not that we are recording this podcast in person, but that Francisco Lindor is a New York Met. I'm not even going to start the podcast with a joke this week. I just need to say the sentence out loud, which I haven't said very many times. Francisco Lindor is a New York fucking metropolitan. What do I even, how am I even supposed to feel about this? The real joke to open this podcast is that we're doing this in person in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you. I'm, I really am. I'm happy for me too. You know what? Like, <laughs> You deserve this, man. I have earned this via many, many down moments, many very low moments, much suffering that I have experienced as a fan of the New York Mets. And um, this is it. This is the greatest moment of my Mets fandom ever. This is the greatest moment. So, yeah. So I was going to ask you, what does it feel like to have peaked? That's a great question. I mean, I might have to ask you that in a couple of years. It's actually a question. It's actually, it's funny that you asked that because I did think about that about 30 seconds after I saw the pass and tweet. I was like, is this the greatest moment ever? You know how like people make fun of the NBA because they're like, nobody actually likes the games. They just like the transactions. Right. I was sort of like, I kind of get it. <laughs> I kind of get it. Like, I saw that tweet. I obviously have tweet notifications set up for passing. Naturally. And I was like, this is it. This is the peak. My favorite baseball player is being traded to my favorite baseball team. This is what everybody dreams about. Forget the World Series. Like, Wow. Fernando Tatis Jr., don't look at this. I'm willing to say that I like Francisco Lindor better than Fernando Tatis Jr. And I think that if you went back, you could probably see a paper trail of me professing my love for Francisco Lindor more frequently than for Fernando Tatis Jr. What you will also find is me saying multiple times that the Mets were going to get Francisco Lindor. Like that, I am on record as saying that many times, and I'm too lazy to go back and listen to every podcast that we've ever done to find all of the instances of me saying that. But true tipping pitches listeners will know. That I have been on this bandwagon for a long time. I've also been on the Nolan Arenado bandwagon, which seems less and less likely by the hour. But <laughs> the Mets like don't. It's okay. Don't be like batting five hundred. Yeah. Right now. Can, can we send like a used car, like a couple quarters that we found in our like junk drawer for Arenado and a Rock- slice of pizza from Joe's? Yeah, the Rockies would be like, nah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Do you think that's is Steve Cohen allowed to just buy players like European football? So it can be like, I'll give you ten million that's not enough hundred million dollars here's the thing it's like shouldn't shouldn't that kind of be allowed like why does that not happen more like every other aspect of baseball transactions boils down to the money anyway when they get rid of a player it's literally referred to as a salary dump yeah you boil down a literal person and their achievements and their potential 
to the dollar amount that they're being paid. So why not just be like, hey, I'm going to buy this place? I mean, again, it's we're getting into weird territory talking about buying and selling baseball players. But like, it's not like it's made. made. Well, exactly. It's not like we made these parameters. Right? It's like, <laughs> exactly. like we decided that this was it's the more, language. It's more just like stop with the bullshit jargon and just call it what it is. Yeah. Well, Buster only stopped with the bullshit jargon and called it what it was. <laughs> salary <laughs> dump for my friend Hugh Darvish. That's and uh, he caught a little bit of flack about it from from you. <laughs> that's <laughs> mainly. Yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> Obviously, we're going to talk about Lindor a little bit. Uh, we have a little bit of other news to talk about with uh, the White Sox getting Liam Hendricks, um, the Padres getting two, I don't know, aces, maybe. I feel like that term is just getting thrown around a little bit too uh, frequently these days. But two very good starting pitchers in um, Blake Snell and you Darvish. And, of course, we're going to talk about our friend Rob Manfred, as we do. Because naturally. We're gathering in the same physical space right now. How could we not talk about Rob Manfred every 15 minutes? Um, and then, at the end of this pod, we're going to do a little bit of a grab bag of our favorite moments as baseball fans in general to celebrate the sport that we love. Yeah, we're here lest you think together. we don't like it, I because you know you might be maybe, right. Maybe the last few weeks may have made you think that. Exactly. Um, but before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley, and you are listening to Tipping Pitches live from LA. Alex, do you feel the need to like delineate how you got here to Los Angeles so that people don't cancel the pod? You feel like people putting out like one one star reviews. We so, yes, so, yeah, yeah. To note that like we both got COVID tested and yeah. it was a drive and like what? we have like maybe like fifty five reviews on Apple, sixty reviews on Apple. However, they only show like written reviews for people who actually write the full thing out, so you don't actually get to see who rated you low. But we have like one or two one-star reviews, one or two two-star reviews, and a couple of three-star reviews. I want to talk to those people. Like, I don't have any interest in talking to people who rate us five stars. Like, well, thank you very much. We're talking to you every week by doing the podcast. Like, thank you. We love you. But the people who rated it one star, like, popped in for one episode, and they were like, fuck these guys. They don't even like baseball. Like, write to us. TippingPitchesPod at gmail.com. I want to know more. Was there a... Was there a reason that this popped into your head that you wanted to talk to our hater because i agree i want to get in a room with our haters too not right now not at this moment i want to get right, on a zoom right. with our haters not in a room an, and, on have a an, and have with an open-ended <laughs> discussion no the reason i thought of that is because if people thought that you came here unsafely in a pandemic it'd just be immediate stream of one-star reviews it's probably true let's talk about francisco lindor some more let's do it i want so Take me through your emotions, because I will delineate mine as much as people would like to hear, right? I was on my way back to Los Angeles after an extended uh, road trip to spend some time as safely as possible with my family. So I was driving back to Los Angeles. I actually happened to not be operating the motor vehicle at this time, thankfully, because I don't know what would have happened. Uh, like, go with God at that point. Like, do I crash the car? Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, Phoebe was driving, and I'm just sitting there. Notification comes across, and I'm reading it. And it's a, it's a pretty immediate out-of-body experience for your boy. Chills, hard to believe it, heart rate going straight through the roof of the car, starting to well up a little bit in the Mojave Desert. 
we were just hours away from Los Angeles. And um, I cried. I did cry a yeah. little bit. Yeah. yeah, you shed a tear. Yeah. Well, I, I held it in a little bit. It's like a happy <laughs> moment, you know? You got to pick a side, Bobby. You either cried or you didn't. Did you cry? Did you hold it in? Did you like? It's okay. It's it's 2021. It's more Real effective if I say that I there. sobbed. Yeah. So I'll just say I sobbed. Yeah. You did yeah. sob. Yes. Yeah. What did you think, though? Like, you're like, are you just like, I'm happy for my friend Bobby? Or are you like, what does this mean for baseball in Cleveland? Like, <laughs> well, did you immediately go to tipping pitches brain? Or are you just like, whoa, dude, cool. I don't, I don't know. I had just woken up. <laughs> it was like 9 a.m. on the West Coast. Oh, right. And you were here already, right? right and right. Uh, yeah. So, and I should say, I did FaceTime you. <laughs> you did immediately FaceTime me. But the thing is, like, you s- sent me a, I just saw a text message come in from you with a screenshot that I couldn't see immediately that was a string of random letters that said, I'm going to cry, that was misspelled, obviously. It was like, it was like, I'm gone creo or something like that. I think is what That's it was. That's for the effect, you know? For the like, effect, yeah. I, I don't, I think like, I have autocorrect on. Like, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure, like, I made that typo on purpose, but. For the aesthetic, it had to be. Yeah. It's for the history books, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, I think once I had shaken my head a little bit and cleared the fog from my brain, yes, you called me. And we, and we chatted through the emotions. And y'all were, like, up and Adam and driving and you yeah, we were been on the road for like four hours. Yeah, you were you were in your feels and and I was like, oh, that's right, baseball. I'm a I'm a fan of that sport. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Um. And then I was just excited, and then mm. I was just like, wow, what does this mean for the the New York Metropolitan, the team that has kind of toiled in slightly above mediocrity over the last few years or slightly below or you never slightly know below <laughs> you really yeah it's it's very up and down um but it was weird to be confronted with a move like this and and actually we're going to talk about another couple moves um made by another certain team in uh in southern california that actually like got me somewhat we're excited talk about the mookie bets trade, about the right, mookie yeah, exactly. yeah yeah that like got me excited for like the prospect of a baseball team and being excited to watch them yeah. in 2021. You know, which is like a really strange thing, I think, because longtime listeners and new listeners of this podcast will know. Or just Twitter followers. Like if you're not Twitter even listening to this pod right now. Or just like the person standing six feet away from us outside while we're walking down the street muttering to yes. ourselves, you mm-hmm. know? Like mm-hmm. we'll know that we rag on baseball teams. Uh, from time to time Rightfully for so. maybe not trying to win all the time. And so to be confronted like in the face at 9 a.m. in the morning by a baseball team that said, yeah, chips on the table. Let's go. Let's do it. It was like kind of jarring, which is a really bizarre thing to feel as a baseball fan to be like, wait, are the are they serious about this? Like I didn't quite believe it at first. Yeah. Because it was kind of that feeling of like, no way they would actually do it. Right, it it feels nostalgic in a way. So we went through this period of baseball Your team trying to compete. What a ble- yeah, honestly, what a though, bleak reality but, we live but in. But not even my team trying to compete. Like the team that everyone thinks should be trying to compete, trying to compete. Right. We went through a, a period of baseball history for a long time where guys stayed with teams for their whole career. For their whole career. So whoever they happened to be drafted to, or before the draft, whoever they happened to sign with in their first free agency out of college or whatever. 
they just they stayed there because all teams were willing to pay for their superstars. Whether that was a suppressed market for all 30 teams or not, we could talk about in a different pod. But which like, I mean, and again, we'll say that like happened in every industry. You know, like in 1960, you know, you you graduated from college and went to work in the oil fields and died at 55 from lung disease. Like that was how it was, and yeah. that's fine. And much better that way. I prefer it <laughs> exactly, that way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> At least you had a job out of college, so. <laughs> what is job? Um, and that was the way that it was for, I would say, like the majority of baseball history. And then we went through a period where small market teams would bleed superstars to bigger market teams and teams that everybody thought should be competitive. And this is like the period of time when, you know, the Yankees are nabbing every superstar away from the smaller markets. And it sort of culminates in the early 2000s when the Yankees are just like basically stealing all of the A's good players. Sorry to you, my friend. But it's, it's true. true. Like The A's were the minor league team of the, the Yankees. Yankees. Yeah. Yes. The, the Yankees are just like, Jason Giambi, he's good. We'll have him. Yep. Billy Bean's like, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, congrats to him. I hope he's acquired a, a professional sports franchise since we've spoken last about him. Um. And then we sort of went through this late capitalismization of baseball in that the small market teams were not trying to compete. They're trying to get rid of their stars. Most of the big market teams are not trying to compete in that way. They're trying to do like a hardcore reset button. And I would say this starts around, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014. It really starts to peak around 2015 when the Astros and Cubs are doing their rebuilds and they're getting a lot of friendly write-ups in the national media. And now we're at the point where like the Cubs are trading away you Darvish. They're trying to cr- trade away Chris Bryant despite the fact that they went through hell and back to manipulate his service time and get an extra year out of him. And that's the baseball that you and I have come up talking about on this podcast. So now it feels nostalgic. It nostalgic. It feels like a rewinding of the clock to go back to the the sort of like Giambi era when New York is taking a star away from Cleveland. Like it's CC Sabathia-esque. In the way that it that it feels now. And it sucks as a Mets fan because that wasn't happening for the Mets all of those years because of the Wilpons exclusively and because of Bernie Madoff, Griffin King, <laughs> Ponzi scheme legend, <laughs> pyramid scheme icon. But I feel like I'm experiencing the phenomenon after the fact. And it just doesn't quite compute in my brain the way that I think about baseball, like the way that I expect things to happen because of how often you and I get on here and just rail against owners who just don't give a shit about baseball at all. Like whatever you want to say about Steve Cohen. And there are many things to say about Steve Cohen. Many of them we have said or read from investigative journalism articles. Dude clearly likes baseball. Like your first move is not to go get Francisco Lindor. If you don't like baseball, and actually care a little bit about the fans. Like, yeah. I, I believe it now. Yeah. I believe the shtick. I'm in. <laughs> He's sold. This was the, I ordered the my final Steve domino to fall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're right about Like, we have kind of had... Final that- dominoes extending him. But yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, honestly, like, even just the fact that they showed a willingness and a commitment to say, you know what? Screw the future to an extent. Like... You're not just going to trade Ahmed Rosario, who has been, in theory, I mean, maybe hasn't panned out how you have wanted him to. This is a Mets prospect podcast (laughs) now. Right, exactly. But basically, not mortgaging the future. It's not that they gave up. We were at Ahmed Rosario's home debut together. Yeah, I think we were. Weird. Yeah, Yeah, I think he went like over four with like three strikeouts, which is like the Ahmed Rosario era. (laughs) 
Um, but for a baseball team to say, okay, twist our arm, you know, like, like the last few years have been baseball teams kind of playing hot potato with their really valuable baseball players, like save for a select few, you know, we're reaching that era. And the select few are weird, right? Like one of the select few is the Padres, right. who we're going to talk about in just a minute. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, the Padres are the perfect example of that. Um, because it feels like all the other teams kind of pushed up their window. Like, I don't necessarily think that they expected to be in this position right yeah. now, yeah. but it was like market opportunity. Market, yeah, exactly. Like the whole opened, and they were like, all right, like, let's just do this, you know? Um, and I don't necessarily know. Like, we could get why not into us? A- if no one else, why not us? Yes, honestly. And, like, we could talk ad nauseum about, like, oh, well, like, what is the value of the players that they gave up and that they return? And, like, what does that mean for the long-term prospect of their franchise? And, like, I'm not a, I'm not a Padres fan. Like, I didn't grow up rooting for them. But as someone who observes the I Padres. Did. Tony Quinn tape from the time I was in the crib. Sure. <laughs> I'm, like this is this is good for your franchise. Like, people are going to kind yeah. of look back at this moment and say, damn, the Padres were there. Yeah. They were in it. I kind of don't care if they win or not. You have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado and Blake Snell and your fave Eric Hosmer. My guy. I mean, come on. What more could you ask for? A, a fun podcast to do would be the players that have challenged the limitations of our pro player stance, like the <laughs> contracts that have been signed that have been like, mm, I, I don't know about that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, good for you getting your money, but like, ah, I don't know if I would have done it. <laughs> Eric Osborne is up there. David Price is up there. Um, no, you're you're absolutely right. Like, is this moment in your franchise making fans or bleeding fans? And for most baseball teams right now, their actions are bleeding fans. And for a few baseball teams, their actions are like manufacturing fans like out of a factory. Like what the Padres are doing right now. If you live in San Diego, you're a kid and you like baseball. No action up until this point made you a bigger Padres fan than the last three years of what they've been doing. And it came at the expense of a lot of eating shit. Like it sucked to be a Padres fan for most of our lives. And now it's amazing to be a Padres fan. And it seems like AJ Preller's like, it's cool to do all this stuff. Like, haha, we'll take your good baseball players. Yeah. I mean, I made a joke about that on Twitter. Like, but they clearly don't, they don't care about the payroll aspect of it. If what it means is that the franchise is becoming relevant and there's a way to do this while having sustainable success. Like, they're signing young, good players to long contracts, the things that other teams are not willing to do at great volume. Yeah. Like, why is Manny Machado not on the Orioles still? I don't know. No one can answer that question for me. It doesn't make any sense. They developed him, and it worked, yeah. and they just didn't build around him. Yeah. Do you know what the Orioles got back from Manny Machado? No. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I just wanted... I would like to um uh read you a tweet from Bob Nightingale, which I, I swear, I promise I'll never say that phrase again on the podcast. Would you like to, or do you have to read <laughs> I must, from Bob I must to illustrate my point. Uh, the tweet says, Jed Hoyer says it will be impossible to judge the return for Ace U Darvish for several years, considering only one of their four teenage prospects has had any professional at-bats. It that sounds the, like you lost the trade. Put that statement on the back of a jersey. Does it fit? I don't know. How many characters are <laughs> you allowed on Impossible to judge this return. <laughs> 
the central admission that we need to make in this conversation is that there is a time and a place for a rebuild, but the time and the place is not all the time and every place. Like teams seem to think that creating future value is all that they need to do. But like that's, you must have a Ponzi scheme. It's the Ponzi scheme of comp- competitiveness. Right. Like you can't wait, just, just wait till next year, Bobby. Exactly. Oh my God. Just wait till next year. Sell me on hope. If at any point in my life, you've tried to cash in some of that hope. You know what I mean? Like for Mets fans, time is now brother. Like they're cashing in some of that hope that the Mets fans have shown, you know, to their detriment for a really long time. Like I feel psychopathic for some of the emotions that I have felt over the Mets franchise and the way that they have treated me after feeling those emotions for all of these years. And now like, at least it feels like a little bit worth it. Yeah. And that, that was the Lindor trade, right? That's, that's why it's better for me than the 2015 world series. That's why it's better than the 2006 NLCS. Like legitimately, obviously in certain instances and moments, which I'm going to talk about later in this podcast, I have felt better as a Mets fan, but in an existential way, this is it. This is the thing that I would point back to in my life. You go get a player like Francisco Lindor, who should, could, and perhaps will be the face of baseball Yeah. now that he plays in New York. Like, it kind of doesn't matter if the Mets win the World Series this year. I'm rooting for or it. Or win the trade. Would, like, or we, right, exactly. Right, like the point is, they said, hey, we should go for it, huh? It kind of matters if we have this good, fun player on our team. And you know what? It's going to put butts in seats. Like let's go the old con coward argument in seats. That is the thing that Matt, like the biggest thing that the San Diego Padres have working against them is that there is another behemoth of a team in Southern California. Otherwise, I know. why would you not be I know. a San Diego Padres fan? You know, like it has nothing to do with uh quote unquote market or anything like that. It's just that there's another alternative for them. I know. It, it's impossible to go to a baseball game anyway. So why does it matter if you like are a fan of the team that you live in the same city? Right. As? Exactly. Like, yes. You're just a kid. Like you're not you can't afford to go to a baseball game on your own. You're making fucking eight dollars an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta work like two weeks before you can go to a baseball game. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about the White Sox, who are another interesting team who are who are I guess, trying to compete in the window that they're in. They obviously have a wonderful class of young talent that came up last year, showed out, um, and has proven that they have a reliable core to the point where they can be considered a World Series contender if they do build around it. They did a little bit of that last year. They're doing a lot more of it this year. They've now added Adam Eaton, who I despise. I cannot stand. I hate watching him play baseball, and I don't think that he's a good person. Lance Lynn. Who I don't know anything about whether he's a good person, but he seems fun and he's very fun to watch. And I like the fact that we can have just a big, hefty, bearded dude, and not everybody has to look like Noah Syndergaard out there on the mound. And then more recently, just hours before we started recording this podcast, um, maybe maybe the best reliever in baseball and Liam Hendricks, who you have had a lot of firsthand experience with. What do you think about the White Sox? Well, I think the interesting thing about some of the teams that we have talked about like the Padres and the White Sox is that it's not like they necessarily cut corners with money you know like the Padres still did technically go through a rebuilding phase they weren't very good at it and the real rebuilding came in the last couple years when they said 
let's just go and get the good players, right? And and yeah. that goes for the White Sox as well, right? Like there was a period of time where they were really bad. Yeah. And not good. So like I think that you know, I I don't think we should and I don't think we are discounting the idea of like those cycles that teams go through, right? You're good and then you're bad. Not every team is going to be good all the time or will be trying to good be good all the time. I think it's more just kind of about seeing what your window actually is and and looking more at the landscape rather than looking at like your bottom line. You know? Yeah. And I think it's important to have a creative interpretation of what a window means. Right. In in Chicago's case, the fact that the Cubs have left a void in that city kind of matters here, right? Like it wouldn't matter if the if the White Sox were also bad. Like I wouldn't say go spend two hundred and twenty million dollars to get all of the good players and then maybe burn out and be bad for a decade and a half after that. But the fact that the timing is so perfect for the White Sox to have all of these fun young players coming up. Fun young players is the most spoken phrase on this podcast, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Other than other than Rob, come on, tipping pitches. I think that the opportunity that they have with those guys specifically, Lou Bob, Tim Anderson, um, Lucas Giolito on the pitching side, like Garrett Crochet, like these guys coming up who are, you know, for lack of a better word, electric baseball players in general. At the same time that the Cubs are like, please, can we give away our electric baseball players? Please, can we give away you Darvish? Please, can Javi Baez remember that he's good at baseball? Sorry, to Javi Baez. Please, can we give away Chris Bryant for literally nothing? Like, anything. We'd give, give away for nothing. We'd cut him if we have to. Please, can we non-tender Kyle Schwarber and let him go to the Washington Nationals, who used to be our National League rival? You know, it's like, that kind of stuff matters to fans, and it should matter a little bit more to front offices. And I think that it does matter to some. Like, I think that it matters to the White Sox. And I think that it matters to Steve Cohen to come in here and be like, hey, New York is an incredible baseball town. And that that's true. Like, not to be like New York elitist or whatever, but like, there are a lot of baseball fans there still. And it, it like matters to Steve Cohen to like come in and kind of take a little bit of shine away from the Yankees because the Yankees have had it for like the last couple of decades. And I think that's clear. And the Padres, it matters to actually try and challenge the Dodgers for the NL West when they've won it 10 straight years. So, having a little bit more of a creative interpretation of what a window means rather than just like we have a lot of team control coming up and we better maximize our potential and our dollars per war in this next three years or else my owner is going to be mad like that stuff is all stuffy and i think that we need to get a little bit get get rid of a little bit more of that stuff yeah i think that a lot of it has to do with the way that owners and gms have seen how they can expedite their timeline either towards being a good team or a bad team, right? Like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever your team would be bad because your stars would leave one by one. And like, I mean, obviously you're making trades and you're doing things, but like, it's just, I, I think it was more kind of a slow descent um, rather than a team like the Cubs who lest I remind you, Won the World Series a few years ago. I know. I know. The Cubs are such an interesting example. I mean, 
without derailing the entire podcast, I I have a Cubs thing. Like I just have it out for them, and I, I know you I'm do. so mad at the owners. I'm so mad that everybody just crowns Theo Epstein any chance that they get. Like yeah. I'm so mad. That is a masterclass in mismanagement. If the Mets did that, everybody would be lolling and making jokes about it 24-7 the way that they have butchered this window of amazing young players that they had. It's an embarrassment to baseball. Yeah. And I think that like the Cubs are a somewhat extreme example of this. And they are also probably what more teams are going to try and emulate because you say, oh, we made it to the top. Now we have dipped slightly. Let's just like sell. Instead of like taking three or four years or whatever and letting Chris Bryant get worse or learning that Javi Baez can't hit the curveball anymore or whatever, like let's just get rid of them all now and then we'll be back on top again in five years, right? Which is like not how it works, but But it's the type of thing, it's the wrong lesson to learn. Like, (laughs) I mean, yeah. Because the Cubs and Cleveland are to me very obviously two sides of the same coin trying to sort of maximize without actually maximizing their window and their windows were so parallel in the sense that they literally played each other in the world series and if one thing goes differently in that world series cleveland wins and all of a sudden everything looks really different like do you trade away francisco lindor after you won the world series maybe the cubs are trying to do it with a lot of their stars so but it's like if the cubs hadn't won that world series it's a really interesting sliding doors moment about how they would have handled their franchise about what theo epstein would have been doing about where Chris Bryant's situation would be, about whether they would have paid Schwarber to try to keep the band together or whether they would have tried to trade him to be more competitive rather than just non-tendering him. Like, I just don't think it should be such a get-out-of-jail-free card that they won the World Series. No, yes. I, I think that they're... they're smarter than that. That's we, what I'm saying. <laughs> like, Yes, they think that like that is a convincing excuse. Like, as baseball fans, if you see a team trying and trying like again and again, year after year to get to the world series and they don't make it, but they come close every time. And then a GM comes out and says, look guys, it's not working out. We got to tear this down and try again. As a fan, you're like, I hate to see that. But like, I get it. Something's, something's not working. When you win the world series as a fan, you're like tight. Let's keep this train going. Like what's next, (laughs) you know? And the, the, in, the in, Cubs in, have like the perfect amount of plausible deniability though because they still kept making the playoffs because the NL Central was so embarrassingly bad and the rest of the teams mismanaged that that race because they thought that the Cubs were going to be some kind of dynasty. So like, oh, we made the playoffs and the ball just didn't bounce our way. Sorry. Yeah. Like, oh, we we went to the NLCS and we just we just got beat by the Dodgers or like whatever it ended up being. But if you look back and you look deep into the details, now I've completely derailed this with my it's Cubs fine. thing. It's but. Fine. If you look back and you look at every single year and every single move that they made, it's a lot of bullshit and it's a lot of cheapskate. And I don't really think that they handled the last five years any better than Cleveland has or uh, any no. more ethical or moral or whatever you want to say. No, a rain delay possibly changes the outcome of the trajectory of both of these franchises. Maybe like Tyler Naquin is still on Cleveland. Maybe he still is, actually. I think he might be. I feel like he's in like up and down from AAA. Like that's, he was definitely at the alt site last year. Yeah. Or like hitting third. I have no idea. <laughs> that's true. Maybe Mike Carp. Nah, he was never on. Are that. you ready for me to admit something? What? Do you know how I think did a really good job of handling their window and giving a good faith effort at, effort at competitiveness and treating their fans right? The Boston Red Sox. Yeah, that's it. I think they should have traded. Yeah, 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 no. yeah. 
the Kansas City Royals. Yeah. I think they did right by their fans. That's true. And even though I hated every member of that team, and even though they eliminated the Mets, and this is a good point for us to pivot into the rest of our conversation, but... I'm going to pivot us right back to the Royals. I have Royals takes. That's fair, but (laughs) they kept that core, and they were very transparent about how long they were going to keep that core, and they ran it back after losing in 2014, which is something that Cleveland did not do. Yeah. Which is something that the Cubs have not done despite winning, which is something that a lot of baseball teams are not willing to do. And they ran it back and they fucking won. They broke their curse. They beat the Mets and they won. And then after that, they were like, hey, we can keep some of these guys. We can't keep the other guys. We're just going to tell you that straight up. We're not going to try to cry poor. We're just going to be like, we'll keep Sal Perez because he's a little younger. We'll let Eric Hosmer go and get overpaid by every team in baseball standards. Sorry. I'm trying to be pro player, but still. He got overpaid. And, you know, we'll keep Mike Musakis for one year. A shorter yeah. contract. We'll keep Whit Merrifield, like, forever. Just Still because, on the Royals. Because he, he has 15 home runs and steals 40 bases. And, <laughs> again, we'll keep butts, a lot of the players. like meet seats. Yes, exactly. And I think that that is a social contract of fandom that has been upheld from both ends. And, honestly, there's not a lot of teams doing that. So, props to the Royals. They've, they've really... The biggest winner. And, okay, and the you just said the words props to the Royals. Props to the goddamn Kansas City Royals. Okay, podcast is over. I'm done. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. <laughs> um, okay, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about not our top three moments as baseball fans, but three of our top moments as, of baseball fans that remind us why we keep coming back to this game that we so desperately love and hate. Doors yellow, broken blue. I heard Jenny saying... Go get the kids from school And I keep thinking back to The time under the canyon Alright, so I know I said we were going to talk about Rob Manfred But let's just skip that part of the conversation Basically the only news around that is that Rob said that It is likely that the MLB season in 2021 Will be 162 games and it will start on time That is according to Bob Nightingale So take that with whatever, however many grains of salt you would like there's obvious labor implications to this, but we have plenty of time to talk about it because the offseason is long and cold and sad. Do you have any other take about that? Nope. I really just would like him to tell us if there's going to be a DH or not. <laughs> Still kind of up in the air. It's like a year-to-year thing at this I point. Saw a stat, I saw a stat today that was like 88% of free agents have not signed yet. Cool. Healthy sport. Good sport. Yep. Things are things are going great. Anyway, should we have a conversation about what makes us love this sport so much? Yeah, so... In the interest of doing something that is a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more fun, because obviously we have a lot of heavier conversations on this show, we like to remind ourselves from time to time that baseball is actually fun and we love it. So I just want to talk to you about three moments of your ace fandom or your baseball fandom in general that you remember as visceral, that are very happy to you. And I encourage listeners of the pod to reach out and share their favorite moments as fans with us because... I do actually think that it's good and valuable and important to take a step back from time to time and remind us, remind ourselves in the interest of all of the goodwill that I'm feeling about the Francisco Lindor trade, like that there is reason to have hope sometimes question mark. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just high on my own supply of us being in the same room recording a podcast and the Mets (laughs) having Francisco Lindor. (laughs) That's reason enough to have this conversation. Um, so kick us off. You go first. All right. My uh my choices kind of um 
they're kind of themed a little bit. They kind of got themes to them. Um, we ha- we have we have um, the 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 fickle nature of baseball. We've got uh, an OG theme of the an pod. OG theme of the pod. We've got kind of the random joy that it brings, and we have the endless possibility. Um, and you know, these stories aren't all happy endings. We don't we don't stand happy endings here on tipping pitches. We you know we live for the moments in between. <laughs> You know, we live Dude, for the seventh it. inning stretches. Uh, okay. I have three very tragic figures. Mine are not comedies. They are tragedies. <laughs> Homer, where are you at? The first one um, is what could be conceived as, um, a, you know, a happy ending, uh, which is the Matt Cain's perfect game. Mm. Uh, saw that one in person. Wow. Starting with a non-A's one. That's very bold yeah, of you. Only one of these is an A's one. Um, All three of mine are Mets ones. I yeah, because the the brand is strong. I'm gonna do me, bro. <laughs> um, I I I have probably I think I have talked about this on the podcast previously, and so I won't uh, ramble on for too long about it. But in the moment, it was a really kind of wonderful reminder of what can happen on any any given day. Um. It was like, you know, just got some free tickets from Tyler's mom, Tyler, Tyler on my baseball team mm, go in Tyler. high school. What position? Uh, I think he played outfield. Oh, yeah. He was tight. Tyler was a homie. Like my I friend mean, Tyler Naquin. Yeah. Oh, his dad is like a radio personality, sports personality. Oh. And like, he's got the roots and his mom works for the Giants. Like she had the hookup and was like, here's okay, like, okay. here's like a dozen tickets to a Giants game. Like, let's just go. And we were like, sure. I'm an A's fan, but like it's free baseball. Um, I'm an A's fan, but I'm going to turn down free tickets to a major league baseball <laughs> game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That Matt Cain is starting. <laughs> right, exactly. And that type of fandom is so toxic. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm I'm not going to go to this Phillies game because I hate the Phillies. Like, yeah. No. no. Yeah. Stupid. No. Sorry. It's a tight ballpark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What am I going to say? Um, And part of the reason why that stands out to me is because it makes me think of players I probably would never, ever think about ever again. Uh, Joaquin Arias. Mm. ended the game beautiful mm-hmm. play from deep third to throw it over to Brandon Belt Gregor Blanco yeah insane diving catch in the middle of the game I know Austin Zimmerman is pumping his fist he listening to this right, right, now. Hard right now yeah wasn't at that game though so <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry Austin you're you so right though like, and Matt Matt Kane specifically is a good example of somebody who is like no one is ever going to say Matt Cain is the greatest pitcher of my lifetime, right. but like, it's not that he should be in the conversation, but like, he shouldn't be completely obscured from the conversation because dude won two Cy Youngs, yeah. and threw a perfect game and was one of the top five pitchers in baseball. And he's just lost the time. He's yeah. just lost the time because he's not like that memorable of a dude. Pretty pretty boring delivery, <laughs> pretty good stuff, yeah. obviously. And a pretty forgettable name. Yeah, well, and, you know, burned out by the time he was, like, like was not a good pitcher after he was 29 or something like that. And, yeah. and you know, it makes sense. He was a guy who always kind of got by on 
guile and was not a huge strikeout guy, but knew where to put his, he was like a real like pitcher's pitcher, you know, <laughs> where like, yeah, yeah he didn't yeah. have stuff, yeah. but he knew how oh, everybody pitch. loves Josh Beckett, <laughs> but the real pitchers know about Matt. Cain. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think it's, it's a nice moment to reflect back on. I love those moments about baseball, especially when you say, damn, what happened to that guy? Yeah. This is the whole thing of remember some guys. It's it, genius. It literally is. And Matt Cain doesn't qualify as a remember no, some guy because he had like seven good seasons. <laughs> Philip Humber, Chicago White Sox, who threw a perfect game. That's a remember some guy, but that's an that's another episode. David Mark, Roth. Mark Burley overperformed, but he was on the trajectory. Like when he was drafted, he was on the trajectory for remember, remember some guys, Mark yeah. Burley. And he vastly overperformed. <laughs> and then he just stuck around. around. Yeah. And he was amazing. Like he's like, you guys heard of this thing called quick pitching? It works. Yep. Like I'm just going to keep doing that. Yeah. Matt Kane, perfect game. Great pick, Alex. It's so emblematic of how good you have to be at baseball to come up regularly in the conversation after your career is over. Yeah, like it's a testament to how great I already mentioned him, and obviously I'm biased here, but how great Cece is that he's like still iconic to this day. Like, I don't know. Speaking of guys who have fallen off, my number one. Let me take you back to a moment, which we were friends for already. Yeah, I don't even know what the moment is, but I believe it. November first, twenty fifteen, <laughs> Game Five of the World Series. Mm. My friend Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight, on the mound. I have a more specific moment than even yours. It's not just a game. It's the end of the fourth inning in game five when he strikes out a batter to end the inning. I believe it's Mike Moustakis, enemy number one of the, the beginning of this podcast, of course. And he touches 98 on the radar gun. And this is his first season back from Tommy John. This is like the Dark Knight Returns, you know? This is the magical Mets season of 2015 which I have talked about ad nauseum on this podcast and which every Mets fan everywhere has talked about ad nauseum. But I mentioned tragic figures and obviously Matt Harvey is a tragic figure, but like that moment, the pure joy of like watching a player that you have invested so much into and whose performance and whose embracing of the spotlight has sort of like reciprocated that investment watching it all kind of pay off in that moment and for him to touch 98 on the gun and strike someone out with a fastball that's just up and in it's just a challenge me fastball like the way that he pitched was so enticing because he was just like you know what I'm, I'm better than you like and there's something so addictive about that like that that was addictive to Mets fans because it was like a little bit of a fuck you like it's a little bit of a New York fuck you honestly and I will never forget like the emotion that I felt watching that and even though one of the lowest moments in my fandom came like 50 minutes later. Yep. <laughs> I still go back and I, if you open my YouTube right now and you find the video of Matt Harvey's game five highlights, it will be queued up to that moment that he makes that strikeout. I go back and I watch that and I shut it off after that. Cause I know how bad it's going to get <laughs> afterwards, but I go back and watch that video regularly. And that's what that's what baseball fandom is, right? Like that is it's tragic, but at least when it does reward you, it's just like it's like nothing else. It's it's like no other sports moment. I'm pretty sure we were watching that game together. Yeah, we were. On a phone. <laughs> that's the one we were watching on the phone. I think Oy. so. Yeah, wow. I think so. 
I mean, that period of my life is largely a blur, but yeah. You're a big Matt Harvey fan yourself. This was even before you were a Mets fan. Yeah. (laughs) Here's what my next thing is. Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) This is so, we're like, what are, what are like, what captures our like baseball fandom? We're like, just he's in Mets shit. (laughs) You know, Matt Harvey does. You know who we've talked about on this podcast? Lead right in. No, go for it. Lead right in. You want to talk endless possibility. Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey's debut. I can't believe you put this. This is amazing, but we did not plan this. No, we didn't. (laughs) Arizona Diamondbacks, summer 2012. Matt Harvey comes up and goes five and a third, three innings, three hits, 11 strikeouts. I will always remember that. And it's not because I had him on my fantasy team. It's not entirely because not not I had him on that. my fantasy team. <laughs> but, and, and again, this is like, it's not like there was nothing else going on this year in terms of major league debuts in 2012. Ever heard of one Mike, Michael Trout? Yeah, he sucked in 2012 though. No, he didn't. That was, that was the, that was his year. Oh, he, he sucked, sucked in 2011. 2011. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, fine, yeah. Fine. <laughs> I retract that. Sorry to Mike Trout, who I know listens to this podcast. <laughs> Mike Trout puts up the greatest rookie season ever. <laughs> he sucked. Honestly, by the standards of the rest of his career, <laughs> he sucked that year. <laughs> However, thinking about... I, and so many MLB debuts live like this in my head. Like, you could conceivably swap out any major league baseball prospect over the last like half decade and it would count because there is something about actually watching a player like do you know the stat of like Taewon Walker's MLB debut or just I (laughs) I don't but like I remember that Oscar Tavares came up and hit a home run in his first game like Sanchez legendary MLB debut too yeah yeah absolutely and there is something so electrifying about like having the hype come true even just for a moment like the hype oftentimes not fulfilled yeah was that zach wheeler's debut i was i was there at his city field debut and uh he sucked he walked like five guys (laughs) shout out to zach wheeler like just a a great met a a great philly whatever like good good guy seems like but he sucked in his debut yeah I so like I almost want to even broaden my pick to like not even Matt Harvey's I mean Matt Harvey's debut but right, like right. just major league baseball debuts definitely doesn't count that's way too broad but I'm I'm sorry I'm picking every single one over the last <laughs> few years because it's the kind of thing that like I love to tune in for yeah like whether I give a shit about the prospect or not you know when Mc- Kenzie Gore makes his debut when Taylor um, Trammell. Yeah. Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you say it. Who cares? This is a prospect (laughs) podcast now. Like I live and die for that shit because it's the first moment where it feels like it all comes to fruition. I don't, I don't care if the guy goes over four or not. There is something very innately human about those moments too. Yeah. As much as the the home runs, like the strikeouts, where you're like, yeah, dude, like, welcome to the bigs. Yeah. This this shit sucks. Yeah. 
it's funny because like you can basically paste any narrative you want to any <laughs> debut ever. Like, 100%. dude goes zero for five with four Ks, and he's wearing the golden sombrero, and you're just like, this is a real test of character. Yeah, this is a real. He could really either bounce back from this, or this could sink mm-hmm. his whole career right here. And yeah. it's like, as if these moments are really truly that finite. Like, I don't know if I really believe in that, and I don't think that like anybody who thinks critically about the game really believes that necessarily but it's fun to it's fun to dream you know it's it's just the moment where you can kind of strip away any sort of statistical analysis that you that you want you know like like none of no one is looking at anyone's major league debut and being like this is the litmus test for him as right. a ball player it's more just like this is the first word on the page i don't know where it's going to go from here but like we're all kind of witnessing the beginning of something. Yeah. yeah. Beginnings and ends, brother. Beginnings and ends. Damn, dude. <laughs> all right. What is next for you? Uh, next for me is the beginning of an end. It mm. is 2015 when, um, wow, going back to 2015. So predictable. Uh, but another tragic figure of my baseball fandom is David Wright, who, you know, I've talked a lot about on this pod and we were still, we were doing this podcast by the time he retired. So obviously I have professed my love and adoration and appreciation for David, for David Wright. I was at the game that he returned in 2015. Um, he was obviously he was out for like his back problems, his neck problems, or whatever. He was rehabbing those. He came back midway through the season, August 24th, and it was at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. And I was there at the game with my family, who made me the Mets fan that I am. <laughs> So it was like a little bit of a passing the torch moment because this is the end. This is the, like I said, the beginning of the end of David Wright's career. And he has a great game. He goes two for five with a home run, couple RBIs. The Mets break their franchise record for most home runs in a, in a ball game. Jacob deGrom has a horrible start. I mainly wanted to go to this game specifically, not because David Wright was coming back because it was kind of hard to predict when he would come back, like when we bought the ticket. So I didn't know that he was going to be coming back. It was a bonus. I wanted to go because I knew Jake was going to be starting. And he's one of the most Jacob DeGrom for all you listeners out there. I said DeGrom already. (laughs) Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, you know, he's one of my favorite players to watch, obviously. And even at that time, he was one of my favorite players to watch. Um, So I was there for that. And he sucked. And like you said, any day at the ballpark just happened to be the day that David Wright came back. Happened to be the day that he hit a home run. And it sort of happened to be the day that, like, you kind of believe that they're a legit contender that year. And... You know what? I mean, what else can I say about David Wright? Like his whole career speaks for itself. His whole existence in the baseball lexicon speaks for itself. He's an amazing figure in the history of the Mets franchise and the history of the sport in general. And his career was tragically cut short by degenerative injuries. But and it makes me sad to this day. But there, there, there was something so cool for me about him being the guy who came up when I was like a kid, kid still, and then him being sort of like the like the the grandfather for lack of a better term of the last great Mets team that I have seen up until this point. Wow. David Wright is just like not a guy I've thought about in two years, three years. You're not deep enough in Mets Twitter, my friend. Like we're talking about him every, every other week we had like, um, it's like a book club meeting, but it's just about David Wright highlights. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He really like, if David Wright ever joins Twitter like Eli Manning did, like after their after their careers ended, I mean obviously both of their careers are over or whatever, but 
if David Wright ever joins Twitter, I mean, like, check on me. Check on me. <laughs> if I'll be worried and excited at the same time. I was time. just about to say, it's probably not a good idea for Twitter, David Wright to yeah, join no. Twitter. Better or worse idea than Steve Cohen tweeting as much as he does. He's going for like poster in chief status right now. Yeah. I He's mean, got to chill. He's got to like, chill. <laughs> you know what it's actually reminds me of is like Elon Musk, who's just like posting through it, like billionaire, who is like potentially going to That's impact. the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, to you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's like, He's going to do something that like impacts the value of the franchise or something. You know, just like how Elon Musk tweeted out and was like, Tesla stock's too high. And then the Tesla stocks drop. You know, like Steve Cohen's going to accidentally do something like that. And frankly, it's the kind of chaotic energy I think baseball needs. Baseball might need it, but I don't. Like, it's it's too... <laughs> I'm sorry for you, Bobby. You got to take this hit for the greater good. Everybody is taking it so starry-eyed, though. Like, everybody in Mets fandom is really excited about it. And yeah. I'm just like, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Like, what are we doing here? Know, like, take, somebody take the phone away. Yeah. It's very infantilizing the way that I'm talking about Steve Cohen. Like he doesn't know how to like keep his life together. But like you know what, people don't know how to keep their lives together. Billionaires are allowed to be infantilized <laughs> a little bit. Jesus, wow! The number of times over the last few years I've thought to myself, "Somebody take his phone away." <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> David Ray, you haven't thought about him in a while. And now I'm thinking about it. I mean. He really is such a unique figure in mid to late 2000s baseball because, like, you didn't have to be a Mets fan to know who he was and to even just be like, yeah, good dude. David Wright, good dude. I don't even know what it was about him. I can't even quantify it at all. But, you know, I'm an ace fan in 2008. And I'm like, yeah, David Wright. Good guy. Good guy good baseball player and also just a good man i don't know if it's true i don't know that i want to find out i think it's true yeah i'm sticking to it yeah it's the exact it's the perfect example though of like new york blows this way out of proportion because like david wright not really a better baseball player than eric chavez i was just thinking <laughs> the exact same thing like you switch those two dudes careers mm-hmm. like you just life swap them I don't know, man. Yeah, we're talking about Eric Chavez right now. Yeah, it's like Eric Chavez Hall of Fame. (laughs) It's like, all right, slow your roll, slow your roll. But I don't know. David Wright would have been Scott Rowland if he didn't get injured. That's my take. And he would have been on the Hall of Fame ballots and they would have had similar careers. That's They would have been thought of similarly. Yeah. Very reliable, white, strong-chinned third baseman (laughs) in the NL East. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, number three for your final one. So I had to include an A's moment in here, obviously, because I do, in my spare time, tend to root for the Oakland A's. You're like so much less obnoxious about being an A's fan than I am about being an A's fan. (laughs) Like, props to you, my friend. I've just been, I'm just more sad than anything else most of the time. You know, Being insufferable about the Mets has been rewarded. Number one, the Mets have Francisco Lindor. Not sure if you've heard. Number two, when the Mets got Francisco Lindor, like seven people tagged me just randos tagged me on Twitter yeah. not randos like mutual people like friendly folks on Twitter tagged me be like I'm so happy for you oh, thank you, you to all friends. of those friends wow all I'm saying is you didn't reach out to me first I had to make the first contact <laughs> to you 
about the Lindor trade. A real friend would have been ready for Passan to tweet that. A real friend would have been dreaming and seen Jeff Passan typing up that tweet. Um, I had to include an A's moment, and I really have been waffling on what to include. And You waffling? Yeah, I know, right? There's no good one, and... There's no, there's no good ace moment. Um, I wanted to pick them clinching the the AL West in 2012, but I've talked about that on this podcast ad nauseum before. Um, and so, despite this being the 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 segment where we talk about our our favorite, most exciting, best baseball moments of our memory, I'm going to talk about a game that the A's lost. Mm. And that was the final game of the 2013 AL Division Series, where they lost three to nothing to the Detroit Tigers. This is bleak. <laughs> this is frown town, dude. Like, is... what are you doing right now? I know. And yet, okay, so so I will see. First of all, like I was at this game, and so there's a reason that like it just resonates more with me in my head. Yeah. Second of all. This was the moment that you knew you were going to be pushing the rock up the mountain for the rest of your life. Not yeah, just pretty like much. The next this decade. was where I like looked down the tunnel into my future. Yeah, yeah. First of all, it taught me that that was on me. Second, first of all, I feel like a rod out here. <laughs> a B <laughs> one two. It showed me in person that Justin Verlander is absolutely just invincible. Yeah, that dude. Like, dude was pumping. 99 in the eighth inning like i literally he went like eight innings with 10 strikeouts and gave up no like the a's looked absolutely limp and lifeless out on the field right so yeah. great so greatest was moment fine. of my fandom is when my team looked quote absolutely limp and lifeless i'm still waiting for you to bring this one all the way around i don't know that i necessarily am going to even and yet I'm not, uh, oh, I'm not. I don't really want to get like super sappy and philosophical on this shit. Life is and pain. Yet, masochism is good. Absolutely. Well, because it meant I kind of believed in something for a second. Yeah. Because the yeah, series yeah, yeah. came into that tied two two, and it felt like the you A's division series. And you're like, this is the greatest moment of my fandom. It genuinely isn't. Like, obviously, I mean, there are a dozen games in the last year that I could be like. Wow, I will remember this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, name them all, dude. <laughs> Justin Turner coming back onto the field after the. D- <laughs> I don't even remember that now, <laughs> let alone when I'm like 80. I mostly, I don't even really remember the baseball game. I just remember sitting in the stands afterwards. For How like, long was your hair at this point? Are we talking like bicep length or like just to the shoulder? This is 2013. I had gotten my hair cut by then. I just I rem- assume that every moment that I didn't know you, your hair was like hair down was, to your like lower back. That's fine. It's a cool mythology. We'll just kind of keep up the bit. I sat in the stands for like like 15 minutes, 20 minutes after the game. Like after the ballpark had emptied. Not as like people were filing out, but like I was just kind of like, I kind of want to take this all in. This is at the Coliseum. This is at the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, the, uh, you didn't fly to Detroit to, <laughs> to <laughs> watch the ALDS. <laughs> Maybe listeners think you're from Detroit. I don't it's, know. It's, you know, it's possible. I mean, they've seen what I'm willing to do in a pandemic. So, 
I, you know, I don't really even know where I'm going with this. I don't know that I'm going to bring it back. This and, is so good. And yet, and yet, and yet, I will remember it forever because I watched my team lose and I had hope every single step of the way. Anyway, yeah, you came back. Like, it literally did not matter. Yeah. That team, Fall like, down 10 times, get up 11. I don't know. Brief aside. If you fall down 10 times, how many times are you supposed to get up? Probably 10, right? Like, where did you start? Were you on also, the if fall you down fall 10 down 10 times, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, you're just like, that's, you're slipping on some that's bananas like, <laughs> Fall down three times, stop trying. <laughs> Do something else with your life. That's the U.S. government. <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, like, this team wasn't good. I mean, they were. They were in the ALDS, but like they weren't supposed to be good, right? Like this is again, we're still in the era of like the more the A's try to be good, the less they are good. Yes, exactly. And the less they try to be good, the more they just stumble their way into places they shouldn't be. And like that's kind of that's kind of what made it fun, right? Is like this is a team that kind of has nothing to lose. That, and I'm gonna sound weirdly like I'm advocating against going all in, but like it was kind of a weird reminder of how random baseball is that like a team can totally like just luck into this shit. And if anything, it's an argument for teams just like kind of going for it, like kind of sort of not tearing it down because sometimes you end up in the ALDS in game five. Sometimes you happen to face Justin Verlander. That shit sucks. Like that's life does that to you sometimes, but we got back up. I mean, we didn't do anything, you know. I mean, and here I am, like seven years, eight years later, and I'm still sad, arguably more than ever before. Yeah. But like <laughs> the power ranking of ways that your season can end is winning the World Series. Obviously, that's the best way for your season to end. Wouldn't know though, honestly. We'll report back if the Mets ever win the World Series <laughs> this year. And then number two, right behind it, is is like losing to a Justin Verlander type. Where yeah. you're like, hats off to you, my friend. Yeah. You're very good at baseball, and I appreciate the chance to have played against you. And though we lost, I still tip my cap to you because you're pumping 99 in the eighth inning. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And there was a brief moment where I felt like that after the Royals beat the Mets. It's like, dude, they were on every single 99-mile-an-hour fastball for that entire playoff series. And it's like, at some point, it's just like, you guys won. You know, and that is the only thing that can even come close to winning the World Series is like losing to a team where you're like, okay, yeah, you're a great baseball team and you're electric to watch, and that's cool. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of complicating factors for that. Like, does that team suck? Do you hate them morally and ethically? <laughs> Do you despise them because they're your rivals or whatever? And those, that's where we start to have a little bit of fun. Like, that's where we start to get more nuanced about it. But when you boil it down to it, if you lose to Justin Verlander because he was throwing 99 in the eighth, that's still kind of cool. So I yeah. see where you're coming from. Yeah. Even though the way that you presented, <laughs> it, presented it, was, it was like, this was a very low me. moment for me. <laughs> I cried and I there's sat, no happy ending. I was 17 and I sat in the stands with my head in my hands for 15 minutes after the game ended. But you gotta, you gotta say, I didn't forget it. Yes. I didn't forget. Yeah. But baseball features endless possibilities it features the most random joy where all of a sudden you're rooting for an ace team that has no business of being there and baseball is fickle. Yeah. Because one bounce and the game ends. Yeah. 
beginnings and ends. Yeesh. Yikes. Okay. Okay. My bring final us, Bring thing. us home, Bobby, please. I'm bringing us home. This is a little bit of a curveball, or uh, moreover, it's a little bit of a knuckleball. And Ooh. it is August 13th, 2010. R.A. Dickies, one hitter against the Philadelphia Phillies at City Field. I was there. He's not really a tragic figure in baseball history because he went on to have a great career. But I find it to be slightly tragic that he was fantastic in the lowest moments of the Mets franchise. That 2010, that 2009 to 2012 stretch was rock bottom in my lifetime where it was like they had just come off of being competitive between 2000 and 2006. They had an epic collapse in 2007, another epic collapse in 2008. 2009, they were just straight up bad. And 2010 to 2012, they were like the worst team in the league. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not watching this. Except R.A. Dickey comes along into that morass. And he's interesting. And he comes out of nowhere. And he has this amazing story about how he had to learn the knuckleball because he lost his fastball in the minor leagues or whatever. And it's just the type of thing that you don't hear about a lot. And it's the type of thing where like that dude never becomes the best pitcher in baseball like it just yeah that never happens nor should it happen like a knuck- there's a reason that more people don't throw knuckleballs it's because it's hard to do and it's frequently not successful yeah and the fact that he won a Cy Young and the Mets traded him and now they have Noah Syndergaard on their team because of that and they had Travis Darno who's like fucking NL MVP but he's no longer on the team because they cut him but whatever Mets have Lindor it's fine um it's it, it's just really it's it's weird it was exciting at the time. It was something to root for. And it's one of those quirks that a game like baseball has that a dude comes up and he has that kind of story and it actually pans out that way. I want to make it a, a small admission or maybe a large admission depending on how you feel about um, superstition and jinxes. The one hit in this baseball game came from Cole Hamels who was the opposing pitcher and it was in the third inning I remember it was like like it was yesterday. I was sitting on the first base side. We had great seats for this game. And I turned to my sister and I said, all right, Dickie's pitching really well today. Wouldn't it be funny if Cole Hamels broke up this perfect game? <laughs> and then Cole Hamels broke up the perfect Let's game. Go. And I was like, fuck, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And this was like when I was like really superstitious too. Like I was still playing baseball a lot at this 2010. And um Unfortunately, he didn't give up any other hits for the rest of the game, nor did he walk anyone. So I've ruined R.A. Dickey's perfect game. I'm sorry to R.A. Dickey, and I'm sorry to Mets fans. I'm not sorry to Cole Hamels, whom I hate. Right. That's yeah, my admission. That was, I, I will say that one was on you. Legitimately. Um, like, I, I gotta I, wear that one. That, that one was straight the up. The thing is, me, I know that you are saying this in all seriousness. I'm looking at your face, and I know that you believe this. So I do. <laughs> I said, wouldn't it be funny if Cole Hamels broke up this perfect game? And then he did. And then it would have been a perfect game for the rest of the game. This dude was fucking, he was mowing down via the knuckleball. Not really a verb that you use for the knuckleball very frequently, but he was mowing down. Like, this is 2010. The Phillies, 2010, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Jason Wirth, you know, Pat Burrell. This lineup was legit. Yeah. Shane Victorino. Like, he's mowing these dudes. Wouldn't it be funny? Jay if, Sutley. If, wouldn't it be funny if I didn't get a million dollars right now? I see what you're doing. Nah, the jinx didn't work. No. Maybe it's you. Check your phone. 
<laughs> the stimulus check come in. The, I love R.A. Dickey, and he is also feels like the type of baseball player that baseball is kind of trying to push out. Not because I think baseball discriminates against knuckleballers, but because baseball is not necessarily interested in guys who go against the mold like that. Yeah. Is not interested in... uh, And that's why everyone was so rightfully obsessed with Rich Hill. It's the same thing. Like, he didn't throw a knuckleball, but it's the same thing. Yeah. And I guess I can't say that categorically because there are teams that say, sure, you're a position player, try pitching for now. Why not? Right? The Tigers have done that. The Padres have done that. Wow, the Padres got something going over in their organization. Interested in that franchise. Something, something yeah, in I'm the water. Keep an eye on them. Uh, might buy a hat. If or you're two. listening to this, keep an eye out for those Padres. But like, he does feel. <laughs> we didn't talk about Blake Stell and you, Darvish. Like we just talked about the Padres. I know. Yeah, it's fine. He feels like kind big of Preller guy here. One of let's put t-shirts. Those big five. Guy. I'm just powering through. I'm just powering through. <laughs> one of like the last players that. I have no AJ's no evidence okay. uh, no evidence to to back this up. Yeah, but like, can a knuckleballer exist in twenty 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 one? Does a baseball team give someone that leash? Like, it's, such a cop, it's such a cop out. But like, the answer is no until it's yes. Like the the person just has to want to do it, and right. like they have to be up against it. Like they need to have nothing else as an option because like everybody thinks that their stuff is fine until it's not. Yeah, and like it takes a certain level of humility. It takes a certain level of being embarrassed by the fact yeah, that you're like not failure. good anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so you're saying that like we can't let baseball players get too comfortable because it's the struggle that makes them great. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. Continue to pay them $2 an hour. I feel myself turning into Ben Carson as we speak. It takes a moment like Alex sitting in the stands of the Coliseum with his head in his hands for 15 minutes after you get eliminated to then say, I'm going to start throwing a knuckleball. You should have thrown a knuckleball in the following year of your high school career. That's... You might be in the fucking majors right now. Well, you might not be doing this podcast. You might not have gone D3 to NYU. You might have gone D1 to Virginia, brother. <laughs> Vandy, here we come. You know what? I did the the baseball fan version. Vanderbilt Hall of Fame. <laughs> Alex Baisley, Kumar Rocker. Your names will be right <laughs> Jesus next to Christ. I did the baseball fan version of throwing a knuckleball after that, which was starting a baseball podcast. <laughs> Wow, we got to end it here. We got to end it here. I wanted to talk about a little bit of our lowest moments, but we've gone so long. And honestly, maybe one of your <laughs> lowest moments was one of your top moments. So I don't even understand how it's that fine. happened. It's fine. This is how this always happens. But this has been a pleasure to record this podcast in person with you. Uh, it's you been too, so Bobby. long. And I wish that we could do it more. Hopefully, um, I get that Moderna in one arm and that Pfizer in the other arm. I don't know if that's how it works. but oh, hell yeah. Maybe I have, go to go to the UK and get whatever they're selling over there too. Right. I've I have always had a lot of faith in big pharma and hopefully that that will pay dividends for this podcast. Um thank you to everyone for listening. Uh we hope that you enjoyed this. If you want to tell us your favorite or your least favorite, or just your most emotional, your most wistful, your most nostalgic moments as a baseball fan, it's tipping pitches pod at gmail.com. Tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. Um Anything to leave the people with? That's my favorite question to ask you to end the show. You never have an answer, but I'm just going to keep powering through. Pray for Jed Hoyer. He's going through a tough time right now. Just rebuild. Who could have seen this coming? Rebuilding that team. I know. He'll get back on that horse. (laughs) Fall down 10 times, get back up 11. (laughs) 
we'll see you next week, guys. everybody uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez tipping pitches this is the one that I love the most so we'll see you next week see ya